And then this week, we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Matthew chapter 5. And we're finishing up our sermon series entitled, Jesus Loves You More Than the Rules. I think that so powerfully sums up the gospel in a way that Christians have a hard time with. There are churches that seem to really love the rules, and there are churches that seem to really love you, and it's rare that you get a really biblical picture, which is that Jesus loves you more than the rules, that the rules are fantastic, but Jesus loves you more. It's a message I don't think a lot of Christians are able to articulate and the church doesn't give very well. And I feel like most Christians today, because the church does not emphasize, at least the evangelical church, right? We're laid back, right? We're not like strict. We're cool. We're cool, man, just like you, right? That's kind of what we're going for and what we've been going for for like the last, you know, 30 years. And so I feel like we've given the impression, if you ask the average evangelical Christian to summarize the message of Jesus. They wouldn't say that he loves you more than the rules. They'd say, if Jesus came to me with a message, first he'd take down his man bun and he'd kick off his Birkenstocks and put down his acoustic guitar and say, my child, I love you. It doesn't matter what you do. I love you. Now that's close to the message of Jesus, but it's not his message. Instead of Jesus coming and saying, hey, you know what? Because I love you, it just, I love you. Just focus on that and what you do. Instead, Jesus said, what you do is more important than what you ever imagined. Jesus was not less strict than the God of the Old Testament. He didn't get rid of the rules. And he begins this passage by saying that, verse 17 of chapter 5, do not think I've come to get rid of the law or the prophets. I haven't come rid of the rules. Instead, throughout this passage, the whole time that he teaches, he says, you, you thought the rules were important? Actually, I tell you, they were even more important than you ever imagined. You thought you were following God by doing this. The rules are greater than you even thought. However... You got to finish the story. The story is not about the rules. It is about you. And God's love for you is so great that even though those rules are what it means to be godly, I love you more. And just wrapping up this sermon series, if if you're new here today or coming for the first time today, this sermon series is all about how the rules are what it means to be godly, to have godly love, They're not bad, they're good. They're phenomenally good. That's why Jesus didn't come to get rid of them. But what he came to do is he came to fulfill them in our place because none of us can fulfill the rules of God. None of us are godly. All of us are sinners and we all need his salvation. The rules show us what godly behavior is like and it does not come naturally to do them or even to know them. The Bible is a story of God teaching people who were completely without knowledge of him his rules and what they are because we didn't even know them. We'd rejected God so thoroughly, we didn't even know them. We have this idea as evangelical Christians because we've experienced in our lifetime things just keep kind of going the wrong way and we think that that's been happening forever. Actually, no, the world has been going the right way for 4,000 years ever since the days of Noah, the days of Abraham. The world was so wicked. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says that the thoughts of their hearts are only evil continually. When Adam and Eve rejected God and they ate of the tree of good and evil, see, they already knew good. They wanted to know what evil was. Once they made that choice to know evil, they just kept going down that way. God separated himself from us because of our sin, because of who he is. He is good. He can't get rid of the rules. And they went down this path, they chose evil, and they chose it so thoroughly that they were fully worthy of God's judgment. They didn't know him at all. And since then, the world's been getting a lot better. 
Read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Read the story of Noah and the flood. The world's been getting a lot better, actually. And the rules are good. It doesn't come naturally to follow them. It doesn't come naturally to even know them. We've got to have God's word to know them or else we'll quickly be saying other things are good. If you're not reading the word of God, if you're not reading the word of God, I guarantee you're going around living your life, doing a bunch of things that aren't good, convincing yourself and others that they are. I do that same thing. Everybody would. We need his word. Jesus can't get rid of the rules. It reveals what love actually is. In Matthew chapter 22, they come to Jesus. They say, what's the most important thing we get down in this life? There's a lot of rules, Jesus. What's the most important rule we get down? He says, actually, all of the rules, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40, all of the rules boil down to this. They're all about love. Love God, love your neighbor. And this is what love looks like. See, Jesus didn't come to get rid of them, but he did come to fulfill them because none of us have followed them. And as Jesus goes through, everybody who's self-righteous, everybody who thinks that they're godly, he cuts them all down, cuts that, throws that idea right out. He says, you thought that you were godly by not committing adultery. You've heard it said, but I say to you, godliness is so far even above that. That was just the baseline. That's a, that's a baseline. That's a minimal of our marital relationship is that we don't commit adultery, but I say to you that even if you've looked at someone who's not your spouse with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart, you've done the same thing. The same thing's inside of you. Godly love is so great. God's love is so great that there's not a minute, not a second, not a, not a thought that Jesus has of cheating on you, of deserting you, of going after somebody else. Jesus is fully faithful to his commitments to us and the church. You've heard it said that you should not commit murder, but I say to you, if you've even had anger in your heart, you thought that you were doing a good job not murdering. Are you kidding me? That's the baseline. That's the, that's the entry level. Godliness is that you don't even have that sort of anger in your heart ever towards your brother or sister. Who's done that? Who's had that kind of godly love? Nobody. That's the point. None of us have. And you're sitting here and you're, you're listening to this and you're like, Wow. God is so much greater than I am. See, I keep convincing myself of how great I am. Turns out the Lord is so much better than me. He says in verse 43 of chapter 5, you've heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Are you kidding me? He says when they take your stuff, give them the rest. When they treat you unfairly and work you too hard and oppress you, then go the extra mile and do more for them. That's godly love. You've heard it said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Justice, that's baseline. Jesus didn't demand justice. He served and sacrificed. Won people's hearts. And his disciples did the same thing. They laid down their right for justice in order to save others because they loved him so much. That's what godly love looks like. It's so much above me. And as the people heard Jesus teach, it was the opposite message of Jesus taking down his man bun and saying, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. Actually, it was, you know, it actually matters more than you ever imagined. And yet, my love for you is even greater than that. That's the gospel. Even though we've all broken God's rules, even though we're all ungodly, 
He loves us more. He didn't throw it out. As he reveals to us what godly love is actually like, he ends the message in in 548 with, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. To get into heaven, to deserve a relationship with a perfect God, you'd have to be perfect. Of course, no one has been that. And so it's not a message of rejection. It's not a message of condemnation. He doesn't end the sermon there and say, okay, it's over. I just wanted to tell you that. I'm going back to heaven now. You all go to hell. See you guys later. I'm beaming out. No, he says, even though not a single person has had that kind of godly love, I'm going to come and have that godly love in your place. And that's the gospel of Jesus. When we believe and trust in him, when we repent of our sins and believe and trust in him, we are saved. And when God looks at us, he wants to see all the lust that we've had, all the times we've broken that commitment in our hearts to our spouse. He won't see that anymore because it's the great exchange. We talked about in Ephesians before the creation of the world, he chose us to be holy and blameless before God. Not that we've been homely and blameless, We're holy and blameless through Jesus. He gets our sin on the cross and we get his holiness. Talk about a great deal. I'll give him my sin and get his righteousness all day, every day. I repent. Lord, I repent of everything. I repent of even my repentance because even in my repentance there's a measure of self-righteousness and holiness which I'm so proud of. Look at me repent. I'll take his holiness as a great exchange and he'll look at me and he won't see all the self-righteousness and all the religiosity and all the, he'll see Jesus' faithfulness in my place, pure heartedness. He won't see the lust, he'll see the faithfulness. He won't see the anger, he'll see the love. He won't see the selfishness, he'll see the sacrifice of Jesus because Jesus was faithful in my place. Jesus was loving in my place. Jesus honored his commitments in my place. Jesus was patient in my place. I did not come to abolish the law of the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. And that way, it's a message of good news for everybody. Because if it was a message about what you did, no matter where you draw the line, there were people who are done. There's no coming back from that one. No matter where you draw the line, if it's based on our behavior, but it's not based on our behavior. It's based on what we want. Every single person, no matter what we've done, can repent of our sins, give them to the Lord on the cross, and receive his perfection. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and through Jesus, you can be. Therefore, it's not about what we've done, but what we want. Therefore, John chapter 3, verse 16, says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son that whoever would do enough good things, would not perish, but be saved and inherit eternal. No, wait. That whoever believes, all you have to do to go to heaven is literally believe and not give lip service. That's the hard part. It's to actually believe, which requires a total life change. But if you want it, you'll do it. If you want it, you'll believe. And you'll receive it. For the gospel is good news to every single person, no matter what we've done. Today we're going to read some more of the verses directly preceding this sermon. I feel like this sermon is, uh, this sermon of Jesus gives, it's better done backwards because he gives all the punchlines right away, right at the beginning. Do not think I've come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill them. And right before that as well, he starts off with this interesting passage as he talks about how we've all been ungodly 
and we all need a savior, and we all need to repent, he actually starts with this incredible message of positivity towards us. Let's begin reading Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, <clears throat> so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And you read this passage, and you read the verses afterwards and say, Jewel, Jesus, did you... Do you think that's the best plan? <laughs> Do you think it's the best plan for us to be the salt and the light? Because uh, everything from verse 18 on is, is looking pretty rough. Before we get to that, let's talk about what he's talking about here. You are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It makes things taste good. You might look at something, it might not look good at first sight or first taste. It might look bland, maybe even unappealing. You put salt on it and it gets to be all right. Maybe even fantastic. I hate Brussels sprouts. Hate them. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but you cover it with enough salt and it's like, oh, I, I think I can eat this. And then other things like a tomato, wet, soggy tomato. Sometimes I'll be in the kitchen and I'll literally eat a tomato, cut it up just so I can put salt on it, and it's delicious. And hard-boiled eggs, it's the same thing. You have hard-boiled egg, I mean, that's higher on my list than the Brussels sprout and the tomato. But you put a salt on the hard-boiled egg and you're like, that's a legit snack. Man, this is good. That's what salt does. It makes you say, yum, oh, yum, that's good stuff. And Jesus says, we're the salt of the earth. And what happens? What are we the salt of? We're ultimately the salt of the earth and God. What are we the light of? Light is the truth. Psalms 119, 105 says, God's word Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What's the light? The light is the truth of God's word. Light is so often connected with the truth. The light leads us back to God and godliness. Without the light, we're blind. Without God's word, we're blind. And the light is good. The commandments of God are good. When Jesus comes, he doesn't say, it doesn't matter if you're in the light or the darkness, just know that I love you. No, he says, if, he says, I love you, and if you love me, I think it's John chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so we're to be following the light to the best of our ability. Thank God he loves us more than those commandments and saves us even when we break them, but that is what we're to be, is the light. You don't hide it. If you love him, you're not ashamed of it. It's your light. And he says, we're supposed to be the salt and the light. We're the light of God in this world, to a world that doesn't know him. We're the salt of God and the light of God 
to people who look at God and say, oh, he seems restrictive. Our lives and our love show them that it's not. It's freedom. You're enslaved. I deny myself these passions because I'm free and it's better this way. You're like a fish out of water who says there's no boundaries. You're dying of asphyxiation. You're too blind to even know. And I'm free. I could do the same things as you if I wanted, but I don't. I want something else. And look at how free I am. My desires don't control me. I control them. What freedom to have. You think you're not controlled by desires? Try giving that up for a month. See how you do. You need the Lord and you need his freedom. And it's so good. It tastes good. And people say, oh, look at that bland thing. Whether they think it's a Brussels sprout, a tomato, or an egg, we make it palatable, then tasty, and then delicious. But you look at it, and I don't know about you, but I don't really feel like I'm doing a great job of being salt and light. God, this is a good plan. Maybe you should have come up with something different. And here's why it doesn't work so much. He says, the salt, you're the salt, but if the salt's lost its taste, what good is it? If you don't make God tasty, what, what good is your witness? I was in a McDonald's and I was counseling a guy. We didn't have a church building, so I used to do counseling sessions in like McDonald's, any place that was open. And I'm counseling this guy and this other guy, here's we're talking about God, and he keeps inching closer. And I'm like, when we're talking about all sensitive, and, and then also I just thought it was a great witnessing opportunity. I'm like, why does this guy keep getting closer? So I said, hi, how are you doing? Good. And I said, what's on your mind? And he says, well, I just wondered if you guys knew about the Lord. And I said, yes. And he goes, oh, you should, you should come to our church. We're Jehovah's Witnesses. And I just love Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, when was the last time, I mean, just to be honest, when was the last time you told anybody about Jesus? And you know him and love him. These people, they don't even love him. They don't even know him. And they go and tell everybody. And I asked this guy, I said, what do you think of the Jehovah's Witness Church? He goes, it's too strict. <laughs> Here he is inviting me to his church. And he doesn't even want to go there. <laughs> but I appreciate his passion and his obedience. Why did I even bring that up? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember if I did in our church. Anyway, salt. Oh, I guess that was it. Oh, he, that was why I mentioned it. He loved the rules of his church. He knew that he, knew that he should be out there. He should be out there following this rule of evangelism, even though he had totally had no salt at all. I mean, he made that church sound disgusting. What good is it? What good is it to follow the rules if it's disgusting? I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to his church. That ends up being, Jesus says you're the salt, but if you're like that, what good is it? You're the light. What good is it if you hide it? And I feel like I'm not doing the best job of being salt and light. So if you're, if you're a salt person, I feel like people kind of generally drift to one side or the other. If you're a salt person, you're appealing. You got a gift. 
Literally a gift from God. There's people like that. You just want to be around them. They make whatever they do salty and appealing. And if you're a salt person, that's what comes naturally to you. That's what your gift and what you fail in is the light. And it's tempting for salt people because they are appealing. They love it. It's their gift. It's what they were made to do. It's not wrong to go out and use your gift. It's not wrong to value your gift. Your gift is valuable. And the salt people, they, they love appealing to other people. I mean, that's why God put you on this earth is to appeal. You're the type of people who can get people to sign up for the softball team or to give money to the fundraiser. Who, gives, who can get somebody? To, I've never gotten somebody to give to the fundraiser in my life. And then they love that appealing. And they've noticed that the people don't really like the light so much. They find that they're less appealing if they not only are salt people, but light people. And so they put that light under a bushel because I want to appeal to you. And these are the love people. These are the love people. And they come to church and they say, you know what I do? I just want to love people. Code word for not bring them light. I just, want to, I just want to love on people. Love on them. Praise the Lord. But he knows what love is. And there's so many Christians and so many churches that are so desperate to appeal to people that they leave the light or parts of it behind. They're not leading people anywhere. They're not leading people to Jesus Jesus says in here, he says, don't relax any of these commandments. If you do, you'll be the least. Therefore, whoever, verse 19, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Opposite message of what, what the salt people want to bring. That's why Jesus says you can't salt people. You can't do it. You're wondering Why? Wondering why the church isn't growing, wondering why you're not reaching people for Christ, because you don't have a message of Jesus. You've got a message of the culture. You get a message of the people. It's I love you. And you take out your man bun and you put down the guitar and you say, it doesn't matter. What you do, it's all about loving feelings. That's what they mean by love. When you leave the truth behind, you don't have love anymore. All you got left is a feel. And the salt people, they love the feels. I love the feels. Love them. The feels are important. It's not bad. It's good. I want to feel more. But to have love, you've got to bring the truth with it. Satan can give you some great feels too. At least for a time until you get in bondage and slavery to it. And soul people taste good because you can feel their goodwill and love. <laughs> That's appealing. But they've lost their light. They're blind guides stumbling around in the darkness. This is 1080. It tastes just like salt. Sodium fluoroacetate is an organofluorine chemical compound with a formula FCH2CO2NA. I took organic chemistry. I could diagram that molecule for you 20 years ago. I have no idea how to do any of that anymore. I barely got through it while I was there. This colorless salt has a taste 
of sodium chloride, NaCl. That's what you put on your food. That's so appealing. It's appealing. 1080 is appealing. Both sodium and potassium salts are derivatives of fluoroacetic acid. The effectiveness of sodium fluoroacetate as a rodenticide was reported in 1942. The name 1080 refers to the catalog number of the poison, which became its brand name. In humans, the symptoms of poisoning normally appear between 30 minutes and 3 hours after exposure. Initial symptoms typically include nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain, sweating, confusion, and agitation that follow. But you're so appealing. Neurological effects include muscle twitching and seizures. Consciousness becomes progressively impaired after a few hours, leading to a coma. And death is normally due to ventricular arrhythmias, progressive hypotension unresponsive to treatment, and aspiration pneumonia. You appeal people all the way to their death when you leave the light behind. In humans, spiritual poisoning will occur from people who want to taste good to other people but have lost their light no good for anything but to be trampled under people's feet. The Lord does not mince his words. Do not relax the commandments. You want to be loving, but you're poison. Might taste good, but it's poison. And maybe you don't understand the commandments of the Lord. I feel like people who are weak in their faith, and I was like this too, you read that and you say, did the Lord know what he was doing when he commanded that? Did he? I don't want People will think I'm weird if they think that. What commandments do you think are weird? What commandments do you want to explain away? What commandments are you ashamed of? Trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. The Lord wrote it down for you. And if you don't love it, it's an issue of your faith. Your faith is weak. Do you trust the culture or the Lord? When the culture says it's loving to do this and Jesus says love looks like that, who do you listen to? If you're a salt person, your temptation is to leave the light behind and the Lord has some pointed words for you today. And I think the biggest question I think he'd ask you is why? Why don't you love me? Why do you love other people more than me? Why don't you trust me? I died on the cross for you. Why does your heart, if you're one of those salt people who is ashamed of the light and you don't want to bring that out because people will think you're weird, people will think whatever, why? Why doesn't your heart love Jesus more? Jesus said you never were going to understand. He never said you're going to understand it all. We're ants trying to comprehend something so much bigger than us. Understanding, you don't got to be brilliant to be a Christian. He never called you to be brilliant. He called you to be obedient. If you want to save people, you've got to bring the light. In order to be salt and light, in order to legitimately love them, we've got to love the Lord more than the people we want to appeal to. And I feel like I, I fall more in the next category. I feel like I'm more of a light person 
than a salt person. You see, Jesus was salt and light. I mean, he loved people so much. And yet, boy, does he, he never backs down. He just brings the pain constantly. But he loved people so much they came to him. And the self-righteous people are the ones who didn't like him the most. The people who came to him most often are the ones who were really sinning big. They didn't feel condemned by him. And yet, look at how hardcore he is. That's incredible. He was a light person. But the salt must have been just overwhelming to be able to draw people to him, even though he's just laying it down like it is. They keep coming to him. That's amazing. People don't come to me like that. I think it's easy to gravitate one to the other. I feel like I'm more of a light person these days. It's not better or worse than a salt person. It's just different. And religious people, it's what light people become. Salt people become blind people. Religious people end up becoming unappealing. They just yell the rules at people, right? Our culture walks away from God's rules and the light people shout, no divorce, no abortion. Stop that. Stop running. Stop hitting each other. Come on, like I do with my kids. Stop hitting. Stop taking each other's toys. There's a lot of misery in the house. And that's what religious people do. They bring the misery. And these people know what it actually looks like to be loving, but ironically, they've lost the love. They're shining a light into the darkness, but they've lost the salt. It's like the kid who sits on the pavement and tries to shine that magnifying glass on the ant and burn it. Watch your sitting. Stop it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> No one wants to be around people like that. Revelations 2, we have one of these churches. Let's turn there. It's the Church of Ephesians. We studied about them this morning in HCCU. If you missed HCCU this morning, you can always catch it online. And you can always just come to any single one Bible study, too. You don't have to sign up and commit to all six if you don't want to. You can always just come, and whenever it works for you, we meet at 9 a.m., Next week is Easter, so we'll be having a breakfast, but the week after that, we'll continue. The church in Ephesus, which we've been reading about, they're a church that lost their salt. Chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's poetic, metaphorical imagery for Jesus Christ. He's the one who walks among the lampstands and the stars. The stars are his church. The stars are, the lampstands are his church. We are the light of the world. The church is the lampstand. Jesus walks among us. We are his body on earth. He is here right now in his church. In Ephesus, he says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil. What? Boy, have we lost that in the church. I know you can't bear, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Man, have we lost that in the church? Matthew 18, chapter 18, verse 15 through 18, says that the people who are committed to sin need to be kicked out of the church. It says it. We need to study it sometime. I've never done it. Well, actually, I did it once. I did do it once in our last church. We had somebody who was committed to evil, and they were committed to spreading the message of evil, and they sat down in front of the elders, and they said, you guys are wrong, and I'm going to show you I'm right. 
And I said, you know, I think it'd be better for us and better for you if you attended church somewhere else. It's no longer healthy for you to be here. It's no longer healthy for us and it's no longer healthy for you. Don't come back. And Paul says, or John says, the beloved disciple says, this is Jesus' message for Ephesus. He says, you guys are doing this. You're testing these people with, you're testing these people who have left the light behind and you're finding them false. I know you endure patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But boy, you guys, you're getting rid of the wolves. Acts 20 verse 29 says the wolves will come in. They won't spare the flock. Matthew 24, 12, Jesus says, many false prophets will come in and lead you astray. You got to protect the congregation. You got to protect the church. Now, we've all said things that are in error here or there, but when you commit to it, you're a wolf. When you refuse to be discipled, when you refuse to submit to God's word, when you show you the command and say, I don't think it's right. The word of God, it says, it looks like it says this, but I know all these reasons why it doesn't. I know all these reasons why it doesn't look like it says what it says. Everybody needs to follow me. We've all been wrong. When we commit to it, we've got to be kicked out of the church because we're poison. We're killing people. Paul says, I know your works. I know how you're, you're challenging people. I know how you love the light. You call these people, you can't bear those who are evil. You're patient with them. You endure with them, but you get them out and you protect the flock. But I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. They're light people and they've lost their souls. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Jesus' first words in public ministry, Matthew 4, 17, is repent. If you're a salt person who doesn't have the light, if your message is not repent, you're not teaching like Jesus. The distinctive of Christianity is repentance and faith in Jesus. That's the first step. You cannot be a Christian if you are not repentant. You cannot be leading people to Christ until your message is one of repentance and salvation and forgiveness. As a light person, it's easier for me to focus on the repentance. Repent. Nobody's repenting. Repent. But man, I want to I have salt. I want to have love. I want to appeal to people. I don't want to be like the church in Ephesus. I want to be so appealing that while I say repent, I don't stop there. My message is the full gospel, that Jesus loves you more than the rules. I feel like I can say, say repent with so much more conviction than I can say that Jesus loves you more. I wish the words that I carried as I say that had more spiritual weight behind the Jesus loves you more part. So easy to drift to being salt or light. I want more salt. Ephesus needed more salt. If the Lord came to our church, the first thing he'd say is repent. There's seven churches that he talks to in the book of Revelation. You know what he says? Like every one of them but one? Repent. He'd say it to everybody. He'd say it to every church. He'd say it to every one of us. And what happens if we don't? What happens if we're light people and we don't repent and don't recognize it and seek to love? If not, if you don't repent, if not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place 
Unless you repent, the church will die. If you don't love people, the church will die just the same as if you lose the light. Got to have the salt. Blind Christians assault people. They make other, uh, if you become a blind Christian, if you're a salt person who leaves the light behind, you make others feel loved, but in reality, you're just leading them straight to hell. Religious people lead, who've, the light people who've lost the salt, we just lead people straight to hell too. No one follows us because we're not appealing. But Jesus leads people to the light by using the truth so people know the reality of the situation and he uses love. And we want to be like Jesus. And yet, I don't know how you're feeling like you're doing. (laughs) I I feel like I need to repent. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. In chapter 6, Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. He says, you're the song light of the world. Be seen, but beware before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. I mean, it's hard to do this right, isn't it? Literally, he says you're here to be seen, but beware, because if you're doing it to be seen, then it's all for nothing. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. so easy to screw this up. And I look at this and I'm like, oh, oh, Jesus, we should have came up with a better plan than me. (laughs) We are the salt and light, but you know what really makes us salt and light? Because the whole passage as he goes through is about how we failed. If how we're failing constantly, he says, you're the salt, but then he says, you haven't done anything godly in your whole life. (laughs) How am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to be salt? I haven't, and I can't do anything godly. Well, the main way, your salt is just to repent and trust in him. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to have a perfect balance of salt and light. You'll always be more one or the other and lacking in one and lacking in both, probably. But he's not wrong when you say you are. He's not wrong when he says you are the salt and the light. Jesus isn't wrong when he says that. Because when we repent and trust in him, God is so good that he'll use even our failure to bring people to him. I remember when I was a brand new Christian, I literally came to Jesus Christ because I was so depressed I didn't want to live. And I came to Jesus so depressed I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. And I came to Jesus and I found light and joy, but I had this experience of transition which took years. I still felt depressed and yet I still had this light and this joy but I mean, I'm, my, my life was marred by lack of will to live and I'm hanging out with my friends and this kid looks at me and says, you always filled with such joy. And I'm like, what? I didn't even want to get out of bed this morning. And I didn't say anything, but my face went like this. And this Christian next to me who was prepared and prayed up, I used it as an opportunity to witness and she jumped and she goes, it's the joy of the Lord. But when we trust in the Lord, he'll work it out. Thank God we don't have to be perfect. And we haven't. We haven't been perfect. Our church hasn't been perfect. You haven't been perfect. But it doesn't matter 
I take that back. It really matters. But what, it, what I'm trying to say is Jesus is so good, he'll use us anyway. Even though we failed, you're still the salt and light of the earth. You're still the body of Christ when you believe in him. All I've done is fail to be your body, but you're still it because none of us are salt apart from Jesus and none of us are light apart from Jesus, but Jesus is with us because of his grace and his mercy and we choose him no matter how bad we fail. If we have our belief in him and our trust in him, he'll use the good and the bad all for his purpose. And I think of all the salt here at HCC. Even though we've made mistakes, even though we have failed, I think of those who help with the food pantry. Talk about loving on other people. Food ain't going to get cheaper. We're going to have $80 blocks of cheese. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. When I was a kid, a block of cheese was like two bucks. Now it's 10 bucks. Do you know how much more money we've printed in the last three years than we did in the entire lifetime before? Cheese went from two to 10, and now we've printed way more money. It's going from 10 to 80. Nobody's going to be able to afford food. We need people with money to donate to the food pantry. And every Friday, we have people go serve at the food pantry in Blaine, where I came from. We did this ministry where they went around, they, they rounded up all the food near expiration, and they took took out all the seats in the sanctuary and they put tables all around and all the people who couldn't afford food came and got it. It was fantastic. And I talked to those people and I said, our people who are the people who want to come to this have increased by like 400% in the last year and it's only going to go up. And thank God we have people who care. Talk about salt and light. Our government doesn't care. They don't care for you. They don't make any food. None of those people have ever made any food. And they give themselves credit for feeding you by printing off paper. You can't eat paper. They're ruining the situation, lying to you, saying I'm giving you food all the while they're taking it. Liars. And yet here we have people who are salt and they're giving people food. They're helping give people food. They're doing it. What an awesome message of Jesus Christ. People are going to know us. They're going to go to the grocery store and say, I keep voting for the people who tell me they're not going to be giving me food, but cheese went up from 2 to 10. From 10 to 80. What salt and light that we have here in HCC. That's, that's going to make God appealing. These people say, but these people do. What's salt and light? I think of all those who serve in the children's and in the youth ministry. There's going to come a day where my kids are going to think that I'm not very smart because they live with me and they've noticed it. <laughs> and that's where you come in. That's where Kim comes in. Thank God. I think of all the ladies who helped in the kitchen after the funerals. What's salt and light? That's fantastic. I think of the men's game dinner with all the prizes that were donated and all the meat that was. It's fantastic. Man, is that appealing. I think of the guys who worked out there at the baptism, digging a hole and filling it with water, carrying water uphill to celebrate what the Lord has done. One of our congregation's members broke her leg, and I went there, and I brought her a, a homemade chicken pot pie that I bought from Sam's Club. It's so convenient. They put all the ingredients in there for me. So when I got home, I barely had to do anything. 
And I brought her the, I brought her that pot of pie, and there's already another congregation there already. Another congregation member all there already. I think of what's going on on the other end of the building, Monday through Friday. What salt and light. We're going to love our children during this time. Kids are not at risk at all, and we know it. We've got the truth, and we're going to love them. We're not going to force mental illness on these children. They're going to be able to come, and they're going to be able to develop. They're not going to go two years without seeing another human face. We're going to love them. We've got the truth, and we've got the love. And if you want to talk about light, if all these people were misled, if you were misled, I'm not here to make you feel guilty. Every single one of us was misled, at least for a time. I follow a Twitter feed where people come out and they say, say, here's what they told me, and now we know this, and I feel so betrayed and misled. If you feel misled, I don't want to make you feel guilty. We got to have an on-ramp so people can get off the crazy train and give them a soft landing spot full of grace. There's not a single person who wasn't misled. I remember last March taking my kids to the park because we knew the data and I knew the truth. They got so much fear in me that I'm walking to the park and it's filled with caution tape. Caution outside at the park. Those liars. And I'm walking up and I'm thinking, my kids are going to die. And they have a Twitter feed where you can express all that. The people on the other end of this building had the light and had the guts to follow it with love. What salt and light that we have here. And they weren't foolish about it. We're going to take precautions. Only so many people beside the kids in the room at a time. You've got to come in one or two at a time to pick up your kids because you've got to take it seriously. It's serious. Six million people have died. The people we love have died. It's loving to care. That's the other side of the story that I don't talk about enough because I'm 40 and I'm not at risk. Literally, I'm more in danger of dying in a car accident. And so I always think of people like me. But if you've suffered through this, I mean, we want to love you too. We want to take, I got N95 still out there on the counter. That'll help at least a little bit. But now we know the other ones weren't helping. We're not going to foist that on our children. We're going to love them. We're not going to sacrifice them. What's salt and light? Where 60 kids have registered to come and grow up free from fear, irrational fear. What a blessing. We are salt and light, leading kids with truth and love. And it's only going to get more valuable. We're not going to foist mental illness. We can still at this school, we can still follow the truth that every single cell in every one of their bodies carries their gender, XX or XY. Every single cell, and we'll talk about it here, and we'll raise them as boys and girls, men and women, who they are. We'll teach them to love who they are and not hide it, not be ashamed of it. God made you a woman, XX, and you can do what nobody else can. You can bear children. If you love people, if you love life, then you will love your gender. 
because it comes from you. Praise the Lord. And we'll do it here. And they can't do it out there. I got an email from one of my friends in Minnesota. He said, look at what my school sent me. It said, if your kid comes and wants to reject their gender, we'll support them and we won't tell you. And here, we're off the crazy train. We can teach these kids. I can, hundreds of years later, I could dig up your bones and take a cell and see if you were XX or XY. Because it goes that deep. Praise the Lord. What's salt and light? And it's only going to get better. And if you're bad at being salt, if you're bad at being light, repent. And the Lord will use you. Mmm. Mmm. What happens? What happens when you put salt on something, you eat it? Mmm. 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 This is embarrassing. <laughs> oh, man, that's a good egg. If you're doing it right, people... If you're doing it right, what do people say? They say, praise the Lord. They give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you trust in the Lord and follow him, if you repent and put your trust in him, what they'll say is, man, that's good salt. Right? Is that what they'll say? Mmm, that's good salt. Mmm, that's good Sarah. Mmm, that's a good Dave. Oh, they'll say, that's a good egg. I want some of that. They'll say, that's a good God. Give glory to the Lord. And we might make mistakes, but the Lord will use even those, and he'll use all of the things that we manage to bumble our way into getting right. And they'll give glory to God. And let's give glory to God this morning. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for each and every one of you. I'm so thankful for the church. I'm so thankful for the church across America where I can come and experience the light of the Lord and the love of the Lord and the truth of the Lord where I can get off the mental insanity and the illness, get out of the fear, get out of the deception and the darkness and follow the Lord and love him. I need the Lord in my life. I need Jesus. Jesus.